Blog Talk Radio. Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created to focus on the tenant. This Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I just happen to be a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings read out of the Ryrie Study Bible, and you may use any Bible you wish, of course. I have had many spiritual experiences and in great gratitude to our Heavenly Father. Uh, we have ongoing 
Bible readings and discussion of our spiritual experiences. And I'm just focused on being my real self and carrying the message and reading the Bible. And that's all we're doing here Sunday morning. Anyway, the call-in number with your special prayer request is 619-924-9744. And Sacred Sunday airs every Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now let's have our opening prayer. And let's say together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we pray for all the Christians being persecuted worldwide, their freedom to worship and lives are in jeopardy. And we pray for those lives who are taken for distorted or evil reasons and they have become martyrs. That's what we believe. We pray for all those suffering from violence here at home and abroad. We pray for those who are sick in mind and body and those who are lonely and uncomforted. Please, God, forgive us our sins. We pray for those suffering from domestic violence in their own homes. And we also pray for freedom from addiction of all kinds. Please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect all your believers and all your angels to watch over everybody. Our prayers go out to all those who suffer in the world, including animals who can't speak for themselves. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers. We have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all countries for problems of suffering for all over the world. We want to thank you, God, for everything you have given us. Thank you, God. And we ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. Everyone and their families are in our prayers in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of birthdays this morning, and I want to wish everybody happy anniversary, happy birthday, including Darren Green, James Whitfield, Tracy Simpson, my cousin, uh, Michael Scott Cocalis, Robert Palera, Della Holland, and let me see if I've got anybody else, and Charmaine, Charlene. Armitage. I want to wish everybody a very happy and blessed birthday, and I hope you have a very prosperous and healthy year ahead. God bless you. And I want to wish everybody else a happy anniversary, happy birthday, and also to friend Mary. Uh, we're going to her birthday party today, and I want to wish you all the best. And uh, if you have any special birthdays or announcements you want me to say on air, I'll I'll do it. Anyway, uh, today we're reading out of the Sprarry Study Bible, but you know, if you don't have a Bible at home, there is a couple online resources, www.biblegateway.com and also www.biblia.com. That's my favorite. And um, I'm going to read the notes from last week, and it was the 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, that was the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, and today we're going to be starting on 2 Corinthians. And okay, let's read. Uh, so now, time to tithe. This is from Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter sixteen. Now, time to tithe. Now, on to more practical matters. Paul asked the Corinthians to take up a collection that he can deliver to the church in Jerusalem. Waiting until the end to ask for money. Smart move, Paul. He assures them that he's going to visit them soon. Right now, he's pretty caught up in Ephesus. Lots of naysayers hanging around that place. Anyway, he's sending Timothy to them, though, and he's hoping the Corinthians will treat him well. Paul also mentions that Apollos will be coming sometime in the future. 
wherever he has a free minute to travel across multiple regions. He asked them to follow the example of Stephanus and his whole household. There were some of the earlier converts in Corinth, and Paul really digs them. And Aquila and Priscilla send their love too, along with all the churches of Asia. Paul closes the whole letter by sending good wishes and prayers for Jesus to come very, very soon. So that's what we have for last week for our notes. So everybody get out your Bible because we're going to start reading 2 Corinthians, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. And we also read the introduction last week. So the uh, second letter to Paul of Paul to the Corinthians. And we're going to start on one. So if you're ready, let's start. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Acacia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Says Paul's gratitude for God's goodness. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as sufferings of Christ are, are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the, the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we are not, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which has come to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we were despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us so great from so great a peril of death, and we and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and he who will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that many thanks may be given to many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. The Apostles' conciliation with respect to the problem at Corinth, the change in Paul's plan. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially toward you. For we write nothing else to you than that what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we were your reason to be proud as you are also ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what, uh, or what I propose, do I propose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes, or no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes or no. For God, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, 
who had preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, and yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes with us with you in Christ and anointing us in God, who has also sealed us and gave us the spirit of the hearts of the pledge. But I call God as a witness to my soul that, I, that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we, that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith you are standing firm. Okay, let's read the note because I found it a little hard to understand. So, uh, Acacia, the Roman province comprising of all of southern Greece below Macedonia, including Athens and Corinth, the capital. God our Father. Paul teaches a number of truths about God the Father in this epistle. He is a living God. He is a God of mer- grace, mercy, and comfort. He is faithful. His power is available to his people. He is the Father of Christ and of his people. Concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, He is the Son of God. He is in the image of God, and he is sinless. But Paul seems to be most interested in explaining what Christ does. He gives victory. He judges. He reconciles. He appoints and motivates his ambassadors. He makes men new creatures. Affliction. The Greek word is referred to 12 times in this letter. God allows us to suffer so that we can comfort others and trust more in him. And the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Paul's own sufferings are identified as Christ's suffering. And what Paul suffered was intended to encourage others. Our affliction which came to us in Asia, since Paul offers no details, it seems probable that the Corinthians knew what the trouble was. It may have been one of the dangers ascribed as mob violence and uh, some serious illness. Okay, your prayers. The good report of the church brought by Titus encouraged Paul to exhort the Corinthians to prayer. Paul's great confidence in, in intercessory prayer is seen also. Okay, let's see. Paul intended to visit them twice, going to and returning from Macedonia, but he changed his plans. This change was dubbed vacillation and unspirituality, according to the flesh, by his opponents, charges he denies. The verse may be paraphrased like this. Did my mind, did my change of plans indicate that I couldn't make up my mind? Am I like a worldly man who says yes and no at the same time? Paul had promised to go to Corinth in the second uh, lost letter, because remember there was a letter between 1 and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He may have said something different, which seemed to make him say yes and no at the same time. His present itinerary was Ephesus to Troas to Macedonia to Corinth. Okay, now we're up to uh, 120. In him there, yes. Promises of God find their certain fulfillment. Their yes in Christ. Through him, through him is our amen. For example, we give our concurrence by saying amen. The seal indicates security, and the pledge is a guarantee that God will fulfill his promises. And now we're on 124. And not that the Lord, I lorded over your faith. Apostolic authority did not give Paul any such right and their own faith, but not by Paul's control. So stand by your own faith. So now we have that concluding that chapter and the notes from last week. 
And uh, I think we have a little story here that I'd like to read to you. And um, let's see here. Excuse me one second, please. Okay, let me find this. Another story. I hope everybody's well this morning. I have everybody on my mind, and I'm praying and hoping that everybody is safe and sound. And if you're on the mend, and I hope you're in recovery and are feeling well. And uh, anyway, so this is going to be. Uh, will you forgive me? It's a chapter I'm reading right now. Okay. I want to say hi to my friend in chat, Glenn. Thank you. Hi, Glenn. I see you. I'm just tied up. I can't, I can't do it. Okay. So this what we're reading right now is Will You Forgive Me? It's by Victoria Baker in Huntington, West Virginia. I was nervous the day we drove from my home to the Work Release Center in Charleston, West Virginia. It's not too late to change your mind, my husband Don said. He hadn't wanted us to come, and he didn't believe that I should meet the man whose image had haunted me for a dozen years. He had tried to dissuade me from the moment I mentioned the visit, but I was resolute. If I was going to live, truly live, I had to see James Whitsett again face to face. Twelve years earlier, on a wintry evening in 1982, I was parking my car near Don's apartment on Huntington's south side. Back then, Don and my fiancé, he had invited me over for dinner. I closed the car door and took a few steps. Abruptly, someone grabbed me and pinned my hands behind my back and threw me in the icy pavement. I looked up and saw a pair of wild, drug-crazed eyes. The man yanked my hair and punched my face. I tried to scream, but he clamped his hand over my bloody mouth and silenced me. Angry and frightened, I bit his hand, and he howled in pain. Give me your purse, he snarled. I flew and flung it at him, scared for my life. He stuffed it inside his jacket and ran leaving me bruised and bleeding on the deserted street. I dragged myself into Don's apartment, finding some solace in the knowledge that I could identify the man who had assaulted me. By the time I married six months later, the bruises and wounds had healed, and James Winsett, to my attacker, was given a life sentence. But even with him behind bars, I was haunted by fears. I still trembled at the mention of his name, and once in the market I saw him and and abandoned my half-filled cart in the middle of the aisle, hurrying out of the store in panic. Another time, I stopped by my, my car in a crosswalk when a man who looked like him walked by. I felt a surge of anger and a, second, and a sec, split second considered gunning the engine and hitting the innocent stranger. I lived in terror for myself after Don and I had for my children and for my family. I locked all the car doors and even double bolted the front door of our safe neighborhood. Four years after the attack, I was still fighting James Woodson. Other other graver fears intruded on my life, but they would not erase one primal fear and relieve me of the image of those drug-crazed eyes. Nothing terrified me more, not even learning in 1986 that I had cancer. The tumor was successfully removed, but the cancer came back. And I had more operations and radiation therapy, but the malignancy returned. It was threatening. Wow. By 1983, I had spread to my lungs, and I was told that I had less than 50% chance of living more than five years. Around the same time, I received word that James Whitsett is set up for parole, and I told Don, do everything you can to make sure he stays in prison. In April, I went to Ohio State University Medical 
Congress. Intensive radiation therapy requiring space stay in isolated cell-like room. While there, I am my bed saying prayers for my health. I saw the, the radiation as light spreading throughout my body. By his stripes, we are healed, I repeated. I imagined every part of my body touched by the healing blood of Jesus. But I never offered any prayers for the anger and fear that were also riddling my body. I held unto my hatred for the man in another cell. That summer, I was well enough to go to my two eldest sons to church camp. I wanted to savor what time I had left with them. And one Sunday at campfire, I closed my eyes and listened to the songs that took me back to my girlhood when I was trusting and carefree. Oh, how I love Jesus, we sang. And the words became my prayer. That's the last thing I remember before I collapsed. I see the sky beyond the blue, out of reach of the stars. I see my younger brother, Rene. He died at 12, but here he is, grown up. He smiles at me and sings. My mother, my mother is there, too. The last time I saw her, her face and body showed the ravages of cancer, but now she is healthy and happy again. This is heaven. I hear the angels sing a music more glorious than any I've ever heard before. I am so close to the angels that I sing with them. Oh, how I love Jesus. Lying on the ground, I feel the hand of God touch the pit of my stomach and move up through my chest and neck with intense heat. I hear God speak. Be still, he says. Now say, I am healed. I repeat these words. I am healed. I am healed. Then I get up and join the dance. When I opened my eyes, I was still on the ground. My friend was standing over me, and I told her the good news. I have seen heaven. I haven't been praying for healing. I had just been concentrating on God, and suddenly I had seen his realm. The door was open to me, and I had seen beyond. The first concrete evidence of my physical healing came in the fall when I went back to the OSU Medical Center to have my blood tested. My physician, Dr. Ernest Mazzaretti, was looking for a marker to see if cancer was present. The last time he had run the test, I had had a marker count of around 100. This time it was close to five, perfectly normal. I couldn't believe it, said Dr. Mazzaretti. I made the lab run test twice just to be sure there hadn't been any mistakes. For me, the year of 1994 felt like the beginning of a new life. I could look ahead to the future for better expectations, but in February, when James Woodset came to from parole again, I started to revert to that old familiar feeling, fear. I had been so grateful for my healing and so happy and had trusted God so completely that I almost forgotten my attacker. But now that man was back in my thoughts, spoiling my life. One night at dinner, I announced, I want to see James Winsett. Don nearly dropped his fork. You can't, he said. I won't let that man hurt you again. For long as I harbor anger against him, I'm hurting myself, I explained. I, am, I can trust God with my health. I can trust God with this. I don't think I'll be completely well until I see James in prison. Don looked down at his plate, thinking, then I'm coming with you, he said. After calls to the parole officer of the work release program in Charleston, in Charleston, James agreed to see me, but the woman in charge was deeply suspicious of my motives. If you attempt to intimidate him or retry him, she said, the visit will be terminated. He went to the office and waited. Then the door opened, and in, the man, thin, in walked a thin man wearing teal sports coat, black trousers, and shine shoes. How different he was from the person I saw in my nightmares. He looked smaller, older, and a little frightened. James, I said, he looked nice. 
self-conscious. He straightened out his shirt collar and sat down across from us. Thank you, he said softly. Don squeezed my hand. Not sure of what I was going to say, I leaned forward and looked James in the eye and asked, Will you forgive me? James looked at Don and they looked back at me. I tried to convince myself that I was justified in my anger at you, I said, but I will probably make me sick inside. James listened while I told him about my cancer and the miracle of my cure. I could already see another miracle taking place in that room. It was as if the angels were with, back with me, showing me how to make my heaven here on earth. James wanted to tell me more about himself, who he was before drugs and alcohol took hold of his life. He pulled two crumpled newspaper clippings from his pocket and handed them to me. I read about a high school, a star high school athlete destined for a great future, an all-American basketball player with college scholarship offers. Kids used to ask for my autograph, James said. Then he fumbled for words. I'm sorry, I hurt you and your family. We were both silent for a while. Then James said, may I ask you something? Will God hear my prayers? Absolutely. I believe that God will change you and has changed you. He sure changed me. My anger and fear were gone. I was free. The next day, I went to the bookstore and bought a Bible. I had James Winsett inscribed in gold on the cover and mailed it to him in the highlighters with highlighters and a note reading, Mark, whatever speaks to you, make it personal. That was two years ago. Today, James is out of prison. He is dating a religious woman and has a good job at a Charleston restaurant. Most important, James has become a friend. We talk on the phone every few weeks and we exchange cards and letters. And he's even had dinner at my home and traded sports stories with my son. That's how deep my healing has been. Nothing less than the power of God and his angels have accomplished this. This Nothing this side of heaven could have made me whole. Well, I have some tears in my eyes because I can hardly believe that, that depth and beauty of forgiveness. What I think it is is a lesson to all of us to forgive, even if we harbor ill feelings towards somebody that done us harm, to people that have let us down, to anything like that. I think the call this morning to us is to learn to forgive and bless those and bless those that persecute us. I wish for everybody that you find forgiveness in your heart and God bless you in every way. And let's walk with the angels and let's act like we're on our way to heaven. And then God bless you all. And in closing, let's say our traditional prayer after a moment of silent meditation for those of us who are still out there sick and in pain. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And I want to thank you so much for being with us this morning. And I, I appreciate your notes and letters that I hear from people that are listening to the show and archives. And I'm here every Sunday, and we'll be here next Sunday as we go through Second Corinthians. And I want to wish you all a great day, and God bless you. Love you very much. Bye-bye.
Oh, my God. 